We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pick it back to pass. He got hit in the end zone. As the Browns get in there, flow in. It's Miles Garrett. As the Browns get him down right by the goal line. Pickett didn't see him. He's lucky it was not a safety. Second down and 11 from their 12. DTR takes the snap. It's a draw. They hand it off. Hunt's got room. 15. Hurdles the tackler. 20, 25, 29-yard line. And a first down. How about that? Here we go. Hewlett ready to put the ball back. Snaps it back. Ball down. Hopkins into it. Flag down. Kick is up. And the kick is good. With two seconds left, there's a flag down. It looks like the Steelers were offside. Offside. You bet. All right, welcome into today's OBR Film Breakdown, host of this podcast, Jake Burns, here with co-host Andrew Spade. It is Wednesday. It is your mailbag edition. And before we get started, I want to give a specific shout out to somebody who continues to make fantastic intros for this podcast, Mike Skinner. He's MikeSkinnerAudio.com. I have put that up in the description of several podcasts, mentioned him on several podcasts. He sends over Sunday night, you know, especially on the wins, right? He'll send over the audio specific to the show that has the TV celebration stuff of the big moments that you've listened to. And then you'll send over the customized Jim Donovan ones as well. Like I can't thank him enough. He obviously made a fantastic new theme song, intro song, exit song, all of the above for this show, but he'll also overlap and give us the specific and, and usually fantastic pieces of celebration that we get from the audio. So he does that. Uh, you know, I don't often even ask him. He just does it. That's how nice he is. So the least I can do is tell you if you need any audio stuff, anything from that portion of your life, uh, whether it's a customized, specific, unique song, uh, overlays, different things he can do. I don't even know the range of of what Mike can do, but he's really gifted, special, and I want to make sure to shout him out uh, as often as we can on this show, and you'll find a link to his website in the description of this pod. So we get started on a Wednesday mailbag. Andrew's with me. We are going to talk real quick two things in the opener the first is Deshaun Watson has successful shoulder surgery like to hear that Uh, we'll see how quickly he's able to kind of be around the team again clearly won't make the trip out west it's probably good timing because he gets two weeks to sort of gather and and get himself better wherever the surgery was performed I saw the doctor that performed I didn't see where it was performed but I'm sure he'll be joining the team at some point maybe when they come back for that Jaguars game we'll keep our eye on that but it's good to hear he'll be ready for the 2024 season as far as we know right now big long uh, rehab process for him. Uh, I'm sure he's ready to attack it. Um, pretty hungry to get back and, and all of that stuff. So 
Uh, you want to hear it went successfully, and it did. So that's encouraging news. The other part of big NFL news is Shaq Leonard, linebacker, really one of the best linebackers for the last five years. If you look at the stretch, he's he's certainly been mentioned among them. Uh, and, and today had a fallout that became very public with the Colts front office and coaching staff about his role. Now, injuries have hindered him. He's not the same player he used to be. The film, I don't think, is all too kind to him this year, Andrew. But the name recognition, some of that, so I'm not sure it's like Deion Jones level fall off here where it kind of came out of nowhere, but it could be. I haven't studied him, but I know he's a special player for a pretty decent portion of his career coming out of small school. I remember watching him in the uh, Reese's Senior Bowl and being like blown away by the young man and him getting selected in the second round. was It all kind of added up. You could see it. Anthony Walker played with him over in Indianapolis. There's a connection there. If you recall, he did a little tribute video to Anthony Walker when they ended up leaving and coming to Cleveland, talking about his impact on him as a professional, how he helped him become the man he is, helped him become the player he is, uh, Watch how to watch tape, how to be successful. There's a connection there, right? And there's a connection to being a part of maybe the Cleveland Browns defense, which is really special. Uh, but the contract is chunky. I don't think anybody's going to claim him. I can't say that with you know, any sort of uh, conviction because you never know. Some team could be desperate. He's, he's owed pretty much a million dollars a game the rest of the year. He's owed six million for the rest of the season, which is not something I think a team wants to put into their cap and have to roll that into the following year as far as a part of their balancing of the books here. So I'd be surprised if any team claims him. It's more than likely going to be he clears waivers, gets his money from Indy uh, over a period of time, and then obviously is able to uh, – go somewhere else and play and play on the minimum or something like that. It's, it's a really unique situation. You don't see players that can help a team release this late. It's, it's not all too common. I don't know that there's any definitive connection with the Browns other than Anthony Walker, you know, Rodney McLeod played with him last year, but McLeod just got hurt, but there will be, I'd imagine there's some text fired over to him with some interest. There are other teams, maybe the bills who are kind of in that fringe playoff contention the Steelers come to mind. I know the Steelers just claimed Blake Martinez today onto their active roster uh, but there's, you know, there, I think there are teams with more pressing linebacker needs. You get Anthony Walker with the hamstring issue, but you still have Taki Taki. You're still playing JOK. And th- this is more with Shaq Leonard. He's more of a will than a Mike. So that's more JOK territory. But I'm not sure if he's, listen, if he says he wants to come play for Cleveland, I would imagine Jim Schwartz, the group would, would think this through pretty hard and try to find something. Maybe he's a third down third linebacker in base looks, Andrew, something like that. I, I'm, I'm interested if there's, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious it's going to be a cheap avenue. I'm interested. And uh, obviously you don't know what the long-term of Anthony Walker is here. So there's some of that element. And I know at least Taki Taki's on a one-year deal again. You just, uh, you, you know, the wheels spin a little bit. I don't think it's all too likely, but th- but they spin. And I, I would be, uh, you know, it's name value. There's name value. There's some of that stuff. And he's certainly done some really nice things in the NFL in his career. I don't know where you're at on the interest in the player. It does it's not a hand and glove fit sort of thing here. Maybe if Walk was hurt for the rest of the year or something, it would make a ton of sense. But uh it is it is at least something that your wheels spin on a little bit, I would think, right? Yeah, I think you have to, just considering where they're at depth wise at that position. Um I think we all have seen the limitations that Sioni Taki Taki has. I, he he is a good player, but he he, you know, you mentioned I think uh the other day that they're going to go out to Los Angeles to play the Rams in two weeks. And Sean McVay is going to have him in a blender if he plays a lot of snaps. So I, I don't, I, you know, Shaq Leonard, you said, you know, he, I, yeah, he has kind of dropped off this year, but I think he's probably got more, you know, uh, field presence and that sort of thing uh, in terms of playing the pass game than, than Taki Taki does. So it, it really is to me, it comes down to two things. It comes down to from the Browns perspective, how long is Walker going to be out? 
you know, hamstrings tend to linger. So how long, you know, how long do you want to be playing down a linebacker? And then from Leonard's perspective, it's what do you want? You know, because if you want to be the clear dude on a defense, then you probably go to Buffalo or something like that, where you're sort of seen as the savior. Uh, but if you want to be part of something that looks like it's really fun to be a part of, uh, then Cleveland's the place, you know, and I think in a way there's sort of a nice symmetry. They just lost Rodney McLeod who came over from Indianapolis uh, to injury. I know it's not the same position, but leadership wise, you're getting another really positive voice in the locker room on the defensive side of the ball that can help get people in the right place. I, I, I can't imagine that he would have too much trouble getting adjusted to Jim Schwartz's scheme. It seems to make things pretty easy on linebackers, honestly. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's to me, it's really number one. It's about what Leonard wants. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how, you know, he's going to get this sort of weird free agency. I wouldn't rule out the possibility. You make a great point about Taki Taki and Walker being on one year contracts. If Andrew Barry likes this player, maybe he signs him to a multi year deal. Like if if that's what Leonard wants, if he doesn't want to hit free agency again in, in in the spring, it makes more sense from a business perspective to wait till there's more money available because everybody's got a better cap situation in March. But, you know, B- Barry did this with Joe Haig last offseason. Haig was cut by the Steelers. This is at the be- at end of camp, beginning of the season. He signed a multi-year deal, Joe Haig did, with the, with the Browns. Concussions ended his career, unfortunately. But Barry saw an opportunity for a player he wanted to add long-term. So typically where you would sign a guy to a one-year contract in that sort of a situation – he signed him to a multi-year deal. So I wouldn't, I don't think it's going to happen, but I wouldn't rule it out as a possibility. Yeah. I mean, his first four years are essentially he's creating havoc everywhere. He had 15 sacks and 12 interceptions in his first four seasons. He only played 74 snaps last year. He got hurt. Um, And this year there's been a, 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 I mean, you know, if you're looking at just grades and I think as a starting point for how a guy's played before you really dig into the details, like, you know, the, the grades are telling you that there have been three really bad games, but I see, according to the fine folks over pro football focus, uh, I see six other games that seem to be of fine quality. I, I don't know. I mean, again, the role's clearly diminished to what it used to be, but he's played 454 snaps this year. It's not like he hasn't been on the field. So if, yeah, if they like him and he's interested and he wants to come here, spend time here, I think there could be a mesh and, and I don't, you know, see, we'll have to see. I, I think there's still a good NFL football in Shaq Leonard. I'll just say that. I, I think there's still good NFL football there. And if they, if Agreed. he's truly interested in the Browns, I think you could have a conversation there that could make sense for, for both sides because mm-hmm. you don't have anything really locked in JOK. We don't know about the second contract angle yet. We'll see. I think he's headed that direction, having a great year this year, but for sure, you never know. So uh, mm-hmm. keep an eye on that one, guys. We have mailbag stuff now, and there's a lot. There, you guys, kudos <laughs> to you guys who are firing over questions at a great pace. Most of which are offense questions because, listen, we're all trying to figure out the offense, the defense. You kind of, I think it was two defensive questions here, and we know that the defense is at this point. I think that's co- kind of a credit to the defense that you don't have many questions about them because they're playing so well. But I would say, if you have not had your question answered, if we skip over at this time, let me know. Always want to get your question answered on another show or. If you missed a chance to get yours answered for this week, try to let me know and we'll, we'll get it answered for next week. Okay. Cause I want you guys to feel involved. And if you take the time to send us a question, that means a good amount to me. That, that is a really important thing to the show. And it shows how much you care about uh, the show in general and our opinion, which is the reason we do the whole thing anyway. So um, 
Yeah, Andrew, let's let's start it off. We have our usual categories of offense, defense, special teams, coaching, and then some random, uh, random at the end. So uh, I'll let you kick us off with offense if you want. Yeah. Uh, so the question is, uh, this is from Evan Dawson. You guys have pointed out how the league has sniffed out the majority of boot action. I wonder if DTR is agile enough to give Stefanski a chance to call more boots. His 16-yard completion in Njoku came on a boot, and he still had to deal with the edge staying home. Might we see more of that? Yeah, I think. I mean, the Steelers present Highsmith and Watt present a unique experienced ability. And again, they're rushing from a wide angle. Those odd front teams, they rush on the backside from such a wide angle. It creates more opportunity to play the quarterback on boot. So they did a nice job of completing one of those. They tried another one um, in the second half that did not go very well. Ball had to be thrown away. It has not been a very successful bootleg offense this year i haven't looked at the com- the collective data but it's not been very good i think pittsburgh is a team you don't do this very much against because of again i, I don't think they're a good team to run wide zone against and i don't think they're a good team to run bootlegs against i think the sort of underbelly is the soft part of that team to take advantage of but yeah i mean there will be an uptick they will try with him they will put him on the perimeter a little bit but this was not a good game to do a ton of that against and the, the one completion they had luckily watt didn't realize that the, the, the blitzing player they had next to him didn't uh, he re recourse the D, DTR because if he stuck with Njoku it was a throwaway there was nothing there so you kind of found some fortune on that one all right next question uh if DTR is going to keep playing edge am I wrong to think that there are times when he handed off instead of running and it looked like he had room to get around the edge and then as a sort of add-on to this Michael that was from Ed Michael Clark was also wondering if you think DTR should run more in general well, I, I don't think, Andrew, from what I watched, I didn't see them giving him zone reads, power reads, any of that. Like I didn't see him reading somebody very often. Mm-hmm. I think they took that layer out of the game plan and wanted to be so simple with him, handing off, quick throwing, that sort of stuff that I didn't see. They ran a couple true play actions. He hit Harrison Bryant on a nice little over route that got called back for 10 yards for illegal hands to the face. But from a gun, you know, and I, it wasn't even a read. It was just a play-action play. Um, they didn't do much of that. I think that that's all sitting in their back pocket moving forward. I would prefer a guy who did a lot of it at UCLA that you let DTR read a little bit more of edge guys so you can have that element, that wrinkle if teams get aggressive uh, on the backside. I, I know that I certainly looked at the, one of the final plays on Chalk Talk if you missed it, that play they ran to hunt a little lateral pin pull. If they had just read the backside edge, I think DTR had a chance to walk into the end zone, but they're not doing that. They're not doing any RPO stuff. If you want to know what I think they could be layering in, that's what I think they could be layering in. Now, the RPO stuff I've almost thrown in the trash for the year. I just think either they're not good at calling it or they've tried it and their guys they don't think can execute it because they just don't want to do it. So I'm I'm, I'm pretty much moved on from that, but I think having a quarterback read an in-man on the line of scrimmage, it's usually labeled EMLOS, that's not hard. He's done it his entire career dating back to Bishop Gorman. They should be doing that, and I hope they do add that because I'm watching what you want to see if he's if he's reading it. He needs to have his helmet looking at the defensive end. If his helmet's not looking at that end or edge or creeped up player, he ain't reading anything. So I didn't see very many reads, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what we talked about last night about them just putting the simplest, you know, uh, demands on him and and the main thing being don't turn the ball over so that we don't give them any points mm-hmm. I, I really think it's as simple as that they can't do that every week but they could do it against that Steelers offense that just fired their offensive coordinator yeah so 
that's something they could sprinkle in, get a little better at, add it to this, the whole equation this week. Should he be running more? I thought he ran enough from design stuff. They ran that pin pull, that old Baker Mayfield, like you used to call it, like Maserati. It's just quarterback, like quarterback sweep. And I was fine with that. I think he ran a couple times um, where he didn't have an answer in the throwing game. And again, he was fine. I, I, I don't think he needs to be pressing to run more, more, more. If it's designed to give him the opportunity, sure. But dropbacks, I, I don't think, I, th- I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine according to what they were asking him to do. So uh, does it mean it'll uptick? I, I, it could. Right, if they're not telling him, demanding him to get rid of the football really quickly, and they have some more layered nuance of reads, right? Maybe a one, two, three, same side read. You could see him run a little bit more. So uh, it's it's again, the game plan was crazy thorough, quick throws. I mean, it was the, the I think the sixth highest, sorry, the 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 sixth lowest uh, time to throw in a game this season, like across the entire NFL. So <laughs> this was. Uh, particularly of interest to the to the coaching staff to to part to, to get him to do it this way. We'll see if that alters because Denver is not nearly as good up front, not nearly as good up front. So there could be a change in how they approach this game with him. All right, next question we have. Uh, okay, here he said I was in the stadium yesterday. And this comes from TK underscore Mason. I was in the stadium yesterday and I noticed them frequently subbing Dewan Jones and James Hudson at right tackle. Right. Seemed like 66 for run, quick hitters, Dewan for obvious passing situations. Were they managing 79's injuries to the lower body? Wondering this has become a, if it became a key for the Steelers in the second half. The Kareem run on the final drive was with uh, Dewan on the field, I believe. So that's a little break in the formula. We looked this up, right? We wanted to be accurate, so we we spent some time looking it up. Dewan was on the field for five runs, three of which were designed. And three, three of which uh, came in the final three minutes of the game. So the 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 thing here was, anytime it was a third down, um, essentially or second and long, that was going to be a definite pass. He was out there. Does that mean he couldn't like bull forward, like he couldn't plant and drive off the leg moving forward, but he could sort of drop the hips and sink and pass protection? Probably. And uh, in the, in, the, in like you said, Andrew, before the show, maybe. He got loose as the game went on and started to feel like, hey, you guys can go to me a little bit. I can be out there this whole possession on the final three minutes of the game then instead of a little bit. I just don't I, – I think the Steelers maybe started to figure out a little bit of what was going on here. If Hudson was on the field, they would run, be more open to running. I think Hudson's split was like 20 pass protection plays, 23 runs. So it's like a perfect tell or anything, but to the point of like – it was downfield passing when Hudson was on the field. They probably started to, or sorry, off the field. They probably started to pick up on that. The Browns certainly can't live in that world against Denver. It's either he's playing or he's not. You can't, you can't do that. Um, now, if it's like third and 13 and you know you're going to throw, I guess you can, but you don't want to be in this world. And Kevin said after the game, I've never done that before. I don't, I don't want them to be living in this splitting snaps, right tackle thing. I just don't think that's a healthy way to live, but I get why they did it this Sunday, but I don't expect it to continue. I don't think there was anything from Dewan being on the field that created open running lanes. That was just a draw call at the right time with Kareem. I don't think there was anything uh, sort of, uh, you know, based off tendency that caught the Steelers. I mean, it was late in the game. The Steelers knew the, the Browns had to throw for the most part to get down the field with, you know, three minutes left in the game. So I, I just think the draw caught him off guard. I, I think we want it to be more, but it's not. But it is important to understand why he was on the field and when he was on the field. And I think that answer is there's there's now defined hopefully for you guys there 
Yeah, and I think it just goes back to the the theme of whatever it takes on a week to week basis to go one and zero. Like you said, they can't do that again next week because Denver is going to be ready for it, and you can't come into a game where you've got that sort of an obvious tell on film, but you can kind of try and get away with it for one game and expect that by the time they start to adjust, you can kind of find some wrinkles and catch them off guard a few times. But yeah, it was a again just another example of how do we win this game this week, and that, that's more than anything, been the most impressive part of Kevin Stefanski's coaching job this year. Uh, next question. Um, should the Browns throw a pass this Sunday against Denver? That's a joke, but uh, I watched the last two Broncos games and they got mauled on the ground. Uh, Minnesota went for 154. Buffalo went for 178. Denver won because they were plus three in turnovers in each game. That's from Michael Clark. Uh, I, I'll, I'll jump in on this one first, Jake, and say that I, I think – you know, a lot of the frustrations about the play calling that, there, you know, there were some frustrations that they weren't running the ball more against Pittsburgh. It was obvious that the Steelers had the Browns run game dialed up. You you talked about this last night, the familiarity between these two teams at this point, there is a, a real challenge to find stuff that works against a, a very good Steelers run defense, especially when they, in a lot of cases, seem to know what was coming. Um, as far as against Denver, I think there are going to be opportunities. And I think beyond that, the Broncos secondary is better than the Steelers secondary by far. So I think there's going to be, uh, even with the suspension of Kareem Jackson, there's going to be fewer uh, opportunities, probably even on things as simple as slants. Uh, if Pat Sertan locks down Amari Cooper, you know, passing could get really interesting for the Browns. So they need to be able to run the ball really well on Sunday. And I would expect that they're going to be prepared to do that because they've got Three playable backs right now. They've got a good offensive line, and the Broncos have been susceptible to the run. Yeah. you A lot of gun run stuff hurting them, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm interested in what that looks like. The Broncos went for 350 on the ground. You know, totally normal game where they went for 726 yards. Um, oh, the, the Dolphins? The Yeah, the Jets. Yeah. Um, sorry, I might have said that wrong. Yeah, the Dolphins, 350 on the ground. The Jets went for 234, right? Mm-hmm. Those are your two losses where teams ran really well. Here are your four wins, right? Four of their five wins that they've rattled off. Bills 192, Vikings 175, Bears 171, Packers 137. What's the consistent piece? Four turnovers, three turnovers, two turnovers, one turnover, right? And they weren't turning the football over on their side. Yeah. So Denver's formula, much like Pittsburgh, without as much talent on their defensive core, the, the um the first and second levels. Their talent is Sertan. Now they lost Kareem Jackson, who's a nice part of their secondary, but but Justin Simmons, they want to take away throws, create timely turnovers, and just bend but don't break. Like mm-hmm. they they are they are deep. Their run defense is a problem. So if the Browns can run it well, if we look at the formula, if they run it well, 150 or more, and they take care of the football, win the turnover discrepancy battle, they go into Denver and win. I really believe that because I do think that their defense is going to wreak havoc on what Russell Wilson likes to do. So it's going to be probably be low scoring again. It's just a matter of this week. Can the Browns run it to create opportunities to throw it for DTR? Whereas last week, I think we can agree they were unable to do that to alleviate some of that on DTR. So that's where I would lean in this one. They, they should run it. If they don't, if we're looking back and they've run for like 
under 100. I mean, I think they beat the Chiefs and they held the Chiefs to 62 rushing yards. Not that the Chiefs are God's gift to offensive football. Although some people would tell you otherwise. Um, <laughs> the, the Chiefs only ran for 62 yards, but that's, like I said, not a big indicator because they don't design themselves around that. And they played from behind most of that game. But uh, I just, the Browns have to run it. They have to control the clock. Their formula is the formula every week, right? Uh, run 20 more plays, control the clock, and don't turn it over. I think that's that's their their path to victory pretty much every week the rest of the year. Super cliche, but that's how they have that's the world they have to operate in. Okay, next question comes in. What does tight end look like next year? Bryant earning a new contract by doing whatever it takes. Is Atkins contributed enough? Um, he's sorry, Atkins has contributed nothing but under contract, and Watson likes him. Do you think they keep the same three or do you think they look at the draft? What would you do differently? That comes from Chris Smith. I don't know, man. Uh, I like that Harrison Bryant is a fighter. He He's certainly a limited athlete, but he'll do everything you ask him to do. He'll try like crazy to block people. My hunch here is they probably don't bring him back and they draft a guy and, and Akins is around another year and they try to get more out of him. But I wouldn't be surprised at this point based on how he's a part of their short yardage packages. He's he, again, he, he fights like crazy to, to take care of business in the blocking phase. If they view him as their sort of pseudo split fullback with Nick Harris, like he's a, he's a utility weapon for them and that has some value, but the contract's got to be cheap, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to think about what the 24 offense is going to look right now, because I don't think, you know, and it's kind of what you were just talking about and how they have to win these games from here on out. You cannot take many lessons for what they want to look like next year from what they're going to look like from here until January. Like, I mean, you just mentioned Nick Harris's name. They're they're running Nick Harris in motion. They're using him as a fullback. They're using him as a as a, a sixth or seventh offensive lineman. You know, and, and I mean, this goes back to to my frustration with the national media here. What Kevin Stefanski has done with Nick Harris and Harrison Bryant this year. These guys that that are you know end of the roster players, turning them into guys that contribute and finding a way to f- find small advantages by figuring out what guys do well. The f- I mean, the fact that Nick Harris goes in motion and he looks pretty natural doing it is hilarious to me. Like you'll see him moving and you're like, that's a very large tight end, but he looks pretty good doing it, honestly. And he, he I think he's having a lot of fun doing it too. To be yeah, honest. like he's crisp, he gets set, he's disciplined, he's not sloppy. And nobody's talking about this stuff, man. It really just, it's such a bummer. But but to the question, I don't know how the front office is going to evaluate the players on this roster this year on the offense because of how inconsistent the quarterback and everything the offense is being asked to do. It's going to be a tough evaluation for them, right? Like there was some stuff that was glaringly obvious last year, Jake, that we kind of were all like, well, you, you got to have another wide receiver because it's Amari Cooper and nobody. You know, and it was like you you really do need another tight end because it's David Njoku and kind of nobody. And and so that some of that stuff was obvious, but this year I don't feel like that those answers are as clear because you I mean, how can you say anything definitive about who Jordan Akins is as a player? He you yeah. know, he's barely participated. So Yeah, the offense hasn't even gotten to somebody like Donovan or or Tillman, let alone a right. second tight end for significant right. opportunities. Yeah. You know, so, Chalk Talk had him open on a corner route that if the quarterback sat in and threw it. It could have been thrown, but the quarterback had pressure from his right side and had to get out. Like they're dealing with a lot of that stuff in the downfield passing game. And also they love throwing it to David. <laughs> they love throwing it to him. And yeah. 
that doesn't leave a ton of meat on the bone for a second tight end. Just doesn't, you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, they're, but they're not. It's not like they're not playing them. I mean, they play. No, he's out there. Of like zero three personnel, <laughs> you know. Like they're he's having him on the field. He's participating, but there are a couple positions because of inexperienced quarterback and quick offense structure that are just not going to be a focal point of getting the football very often. That's yeah, just the byproduct. These were things we were talking about before the Watson season ender. Like yeah. we were talking about this stuff, even going back to the Tennessee game, like the secondary targets weren't getting any run. So yep. how that, how they change that and how that looks going into next season is going to be a big part of our off season conversation. I, I can tell you that already. All right. Next can't question. Wait, Andrew can't wait. <laughs> People are I, sure I mean, in I, love with us talking about what we do differently on offense. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, I've my, my you know, my gears are already turning about it. So, oh, you know, is Chip Kelly a free agent? Mm-hmm. Keep your eye on that. Yeah, anyway, not? keep going. Next question right, is next question. Uh, last I, offensive question here. So. Yeah. I watched Jake's Monday breakdown and how the Browns pretty much ran the fi- same five plays over and over as the Broncos, <laughs> Broncos watch this and see how vanilla it is. What can Kevin do to keep the defense on their heels without overwhelming DTR? A couple things. Wrinkles include having him read an edge. And run game, shotgun run game, giving him a chance to pull it, right? Having him hold down the backside edge. Um, you know, right, run a little more pen pull laterally, but have the quarterback kind of just sort of stutter in front of the backside edge to slow that player down a little bit so he doesn't catch Pierre Strong from behind. Little thing you could do there, right? Um, d- some double moves. Uh, like if you're running stick spacing, if you're running some very simple spot concepts, run some double moves off of those that don't involve the quarterback holding it very much longer but are huge tendency breakers, right? And then they need to connect on screens. They need to connect on screens in a meaningful way in this game. So I don't think you guys are looking at a game plan that's massively different. I think you can do some things that are branched off of what, you, what you're currently doing to break those tendencies, but it won't be massively different. It's, it's, again, can they run it? That will be the difference. Can you get yourself in a better position instead of second and 10 where it's second and six so that some of those short passes are against more zone coverage instead of longer coverage situations where it's a bit tighter, right? So that's the thing. They have to be run game successful to put themselves in better quick throwing game situations, right? Second and 10 quick throwing game is not fun. It's just not. Those are not easy to complete and defenses are sitting on them because they don't think you're going to be running it very often in second and 10, right? Because the formula in the NFL is you don't run it on second and 10. So uh, I think they'll be better at what they're currently doing, but I do think there's a massive opportunity for some tendency breaking double moves off of the short concepts they're running and just having the quarterback read the edge to pull it and run it and get out in space a little bit more. The only thing I would add is, uh, you know, if if you're running it better, I think it was it, the running game was so bad against the Steelers and they were so unconcerned about deep passes that play action didn't really seem to work that well. So um, if you can run it better against the Broncos, I think you have a better chance of getting play action to give you some deep shots at times. Agreed. Right. There's the, the people who say there's no correlation, but I'm telling you, sometimes there is a correlation. There was, there was on Sunday. <laughs> and they just didn't want to do that much play action because they didn't want to have yeah. the longer drops. Like right. they, they didn't want to have the quarterback turn his back to the defense. You think about the fumble Watson had in Pittsburgh that clinched mm-hmm. the game, turned mm-hmm. his back to the defense, stick the football out. Highsmith runs the high corner turns the corner and sacks. They don't want to do that. Not doing it. Not, not even giving them the chance to do that. So you either can like that. You know, you can either be, I guess, is pick your frustration. You're frustrated because they're turning the ball over that gives TJ Watt the chance to do his little high leg kick in the end zone because he scored, or you're frustrated because they had to punt it. You take the choice. I'll take the one that keeps the defense from dictating the win for Pittsburgh and gives you a win 
uh, by your own kicker's foot, right? So, again, you're not – if you're expecting – I just want to say this before we get done with offense. If you're expecting this offense to be explosive and fun and dynamic the rest of the year, go somewhere else. It's not. It's going to be frustrating. They're going to labor for points every game, right? But that formula is a 7-3 and yeah. formula right now. Right. So just uh, deal yeah. with it. Right? Unless they hit some really sweet screen concepts. Yeah, well, like exactly. <laughs> if you can hit some of those, and those are fun, sure. they're just not going to hit very many of those. Now, you no, could no, have no. the occasional throw up to, to Amari Cooper where he goes and gets it or a back shoulder opportunity, something like that. It's just you're not going to have a ton of explosive fun offense, but it's going to be a labor and like it's going to be – I don't even know if the right way to put it is just it's, it's going to be unfun. The, the fun you yeah. have to get is watching the Browns make opposing NFL offenses look like JV football teams. That's the fun. That's the formula for them to win games. So again, if like you're going to write in and be like, why aren't they doing this? Or why aren't they scoring more? They're limited at tackle and quarterback. That's important. Those are two of the most important three spots on an entire offense. So maybe by the end of the year, they get better. The end of the year is closer than we think it is. Maybe over the next six weeks, they get better and they start to put up a few more points a game. But it's not going to be fun to watch them on offense. You just hope they capitalize on enough drives and Hopkins keeps drilling kicks. That's the formula. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. 
Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We switched to defense. Only two questions, like we said earlier. Fans loved it when Shelby Harris was signed late, but it seems like he hasn't had a large impact until the last few weeks. What's changed to allow him to be have more splash plays? Um, I I don't know. I don't think Shelby's played bad. Like they 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 rely on their defensive line to be field players. You know, you, you, we talked about this from Tarver way back in the in the early season when we talked about their linebackers are fix it players. They're fixing whatever chaos the guys up front create. And that sometimes will take them out of the gap that they were originally supposed to be in. There's various things of that nature. I think Shelby has been fine, but things just haven't come his direction. And he's playing like 25 snaps because they're rotating guys inside and they're all playing well. So I, I don't think there's anything largely different for Shelby Harris here. He's made a couple nice tips on the football this last week. He made a couple blow-up plays against the car. It's just opportunity. Opportunity at the right time with the right play happening. I don't think there's something magical I can tell you here. But they are playing like with their hair on fire up front. They're so fun. Do not take it for granted. I just want to tell you, not you can start to take it for granted when you're watching your football team do chaotic things up front. And if you really take the time to watch other teams, which most of us don't, go watch other defensive lines, and you're just going to want to be like, <laughs> "This is ridiculous!" Like yeah. they don't yeah. they don't generate the pressure. So so just don't uh, don't take any of that defensive line for granted because they're really doing special stuff. Yeah, put up, put on the Chargers uh, once Bosa left against the Packers. Watch that for a little bit, and and yeah, talk yeah. about a defensive line that looks like they're not even on the on the field. Of course, we all saw this last year with the Browns because the 2022 defensive line absent Miles Garrett was, I mean, yeah, that Falcons game, for example. I think it's really as simple as this: like Maurice Hurst was the rotational defensive tackle that was getting more shine, and then there was a little Jordan Elliott piece and and now we're Shelby Harris I think it's good that all of these guys are getting their chance in the sun it means that they yeah. are all rotating and like Jake said they're all finding opportunities so I think and I don't think that means by the way that Maurice Hurst has been playing poorly the last few weeks it's just a question of who happens to show up with one or two splash plays on a given week Maurice Hurst had a lovely and I'm talking violent club swim that would have been a sack if Miles Garrett doesn't do Miles Garrett things it's just a matter of like the play landed in your lap instead of turning into miles or something like, it's just, you got to look at the first three and a half, like three seconds. Did the, mm -hmm. did you beat the guy in front of you? And I think Shelby's done enough of that for me to feel confident. He's been playing pretty well all year. And it's just cool to see him get the plays that arrived in his lap to get the not notoriety that he deserves. I think he's been fine. He's been a good, a very welcome addition to the defensive tackle group. Agreed. Uh, next question. Can Hickman be serviceable if Thornhill can't go, or is there someone else out there that should be signed? This is from Jake Wernick. I think it's too late in the year to be signing a safety and expecting them to contribute anytime soon. Um, I'm not opposed to the idea of a veteran adding to the practice squad just as depth because, you know, you, you're one injury away now in the safety room from being in a really rough spot, you know, especially if Thornhill can't get back this week. But the idea that somebody's going to come in and play meaningful snaps for you in the next few weeks, I, I you know, at safety, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we've seen a little bit from Ronnie Hickman. I think we've seen a little bit from DeAnthony Bell. Part of having a good defensive coordinator is that these guys should be coached up and ready to go. Some of these young guys. So, you know, we're used to these guys kind of coming in and not being able to find their sea legs. But think about how Cam Mitchell played earlier yeah. this season when he was forced into the nickel yeah. role. That's a rookie. 
Yep. And so I think we could expect relatively similar things from Ronnie Hickman. He, you know, he played at Ohio State. He's seen big time football. He has been a part of big time football. I, I, I'm not overly concerned when one player on a defense, you know, it has to come in and do a little bit more. I do also think I feel pretty good that they're going to get Thornhill back this week. I hope so. I, I will say Hickman, you, you asked serviceable. Can he be serviceable? Yeah, probably. He can be fine. He's going to have mistakes. He's going to be out of position every now and again. He's he's not going to be great. He could be serviceable for a while, a game, maybe two. But you don't want him to be on the field a ton. Now, if you have to, you try to do your best. But between him and DeAnthony Bell, you know, those guys saw the field in key moments against Pittsburgh. They're going to have to see the field at some point this year. Keep getting him ready to go. Keep having him prepared. He can be serviceable. I don't know. Like you said, I haven't scoured Andrew the free agent market for safeties out there. I don't. I don't have any clue. But they, they, I would not be shocked, guys, if they go out and sign somebody to the practice squad, a safety that could come in and provide. So, but they have Tanner McAllister, who they like in the on the practice squad too from preseason. So, all of which is uh, something to keep an eye on. But I don't think they're panicking at this point, or they would have done something right because they know the status of Thornhill's leg. They know that McLeod was out earlier in the week. You would have seen them sign somebody by now would be my opinion if it was a real crisis situation they would have signed someone by now all right next question switching over to special teams coaching thoughts on Corey Borquez is there an advanced stat to show his value in flipping the field during those close field position games Pittsburgh Baltimore San Francisco into the first time he's been incredible Dave Kalanick asked that question uh, I should have mentioned a few moments ago that the Shelby Harris question was asked by and we try, we either try to find your name on Twitter or or your uh, you're at, and it was Nimi. That's the best we got. So thanks, Nimi. This question, like I said, Dave Kalanick, I I, I think Nibiorquez is ninth in net yards punting. There's no advanced stat here, um, but I have ninth in net yards punting, which is great. Top 10 in that. That means you're you're getting a lot of yards on every punt. That And net means not how far did the punt travel, but how much after the return was yielded versus where it was kicked. Okay, so that matters more. Kick a 60-yard punt, someone returns at 30 yards, a 30-yard net return is uh, a 30-yard net punt is not great, right? The uh, best in the NFL net yards per punt, 47.1 from the Raiders. The Browns are at 42.6. So, again, that's ninth in the NFL. They have had 17 punts down inside the 20, which is 12th in the NFL. Punts down inside the 10. They are tenth, tied for 10th with six of those. And then they are tied for um, 13th and punts down inside the five. And if you're looking for opponent, this is an advanced stat, I guess. I, I'm not sure if it tells the story you wanted to tell. Opponent starting field position after the punts returned. It's a lot of words. It's word salad. Opponent starting field position after punt return. So this is where teams are starting their drive after the punt. And it's like the 25-yard line. So they're, they're 16th in the NFL in that. So they've been... Uh, net yards are good. Top half of uh, the opponent field position after punt return, he's been really good. He's had a couple, like, I think we would all agree he could have maybe gotten a hold of that one in the fourth quarter a little bit better, not to get Pittsburgh the ball at the, essentially the 50-yard line, but for the most part, he's been really stellar this year, and after we watched the roller coaster ride of uh, Jamie Gillen, I, I'm, I'm more than happy with what Bjorkwes has been since he's arrived in Cleveland. I don't know if you agree, Andrew, but I, I feel like he's been pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And and better this year because the coverage unit has been better. So yeah. it, it, you know, kind of preserves some of his good work. But yeah, I, I mean, he has. Real quick on that point, that's a great point. I, we should talk about the coverage unit because it ties into it. There were a lot of punts he punted so well that, that Calvin Austin had a real chance for space mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. shut it down. Yes. Where I thought some of the punts from Presley 
were not quite as quality in terms of hang time and distance. And Prochet still got similar yardage mm-hmm. uh, in return on those, which made for a more effective. The Browns are the better punting team and punt returning yes. team yes. in that game on Sunday, which again, margin for error on all that stuff. Penalties, special teams is tight. They won both of those fields. Yeah, Ventrone said earlier in the year that he he expected it to get better as the season went on, and I think that's exactly what we've seen. I, I think he deserves a ton of credit for continuing to improve week over week, working with, you know, it's, a, it's always kind of a cast of characters when you're talking special teams. Guys come and guys go because there's injuries and the bottom of the roster gets shuffled. So, yeah, credit to him. I, yeah, Bohorquez has been good. I, that was a good move by them. And, uh, you know, the holding stuff I think was the, the thing that kind of got him booted out of Green Bay. That doesn't seem to have been an issue, so – yeah, the Browns have a good punter. I think that's the headline. Yep, right on. All right, next okay. one. I think we have a couple more on the special teams coaching. Yeah, next one. Um, this is this is more about uh, the the decision making of the the head coach. Uh, what's your stance on both teams going for fourth and short early in the third at their own thirty four and twenty nine yard lines? Uh, the person writing uh, thinks it's a big mistake. The risk reward isn't there. Um, and he says, uh, you know, if you miss the op- opponent is in uh, field goal range already in a game where both offenses are struggling. He's not against analytics, but has never had an issue with either uh, any other fourth down attempt by Kevin Stefanski, by the way. That's from Michael Clark. Um, the Browns, if I'm remembering correctly, Jake, correct me if I'm wrong, went for a fourth and very short and sneaked it or they lined up to it. sneak it and then tossed it. That's toss right. It. Yeah. And so the numbers on fourth and short conversions are so strong that it's actually still plus value even when you're in your own territory and giving the other team the ball would give them a field goal. So it's it, it's less about the situation on the field and more about how easy it is in the NFL to gain less than a yard, right? So that's the analytics perspective on it. Um, as far as you know, whether or not I think Kevin Stefanski should have done that, I think he should have done anything that he could do to keep from giving the ball back to the Steelers from the perspective that the offense was having trouble maintaining drives. Not that I'm scared of the Steelers with the ball, but if the offense has gotten it to a point where you think you can convert a fourth down really anywhere on the field, you got to try and do that because you're trying to keep the offense on the field and avoid another situation where you got to start with 10 yards to get a first down again because that's those are rough odds for this offense right now. So the Browns are, uh, I wanted to look at this, they're 7 of 13 on fourth downs this year, 53%. The Steelers are 26 at four for nine, 44%. I don't, I'm, I was looking for a, a yardage filter um, to see if there was a way to sort of look at large yards. I could probably find that, but I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to take up all the time here. So uh, moral of the story, I think he, here's how I, fe- I'll just tell you how I felt. I think that the analytics would probably tell both teams to go for it. They most often do. Short yardage, I understand feeling like points are a premium from both sides of that spectrum, where if you give it up, you're giving up points essentially. But if you, you're trying to chase keeping possessions alive that are so hard to keep alive anyway. So I understand both sides, but I was confident the Browns would get it because they have been really good, in my opinion, in those with Harrison Bryant, not only doing the sneak stuff, but also doing the unique things. They scored a touchdown on one of those. What was the game this year? Was that? Was that a uh, Tennessee where they scored? They scored a touchdown on one where they compressed and then tossed it out to hunt for a quick uh, pin down touchdown. I can't remember exactly the alignment, but they, they did. They did one of those. They tossed this one again. I had no doubt they get it. I was actually really happy that the Steelers went for it in their situation because I thought the Browns had a chance to, to real, a real chance to stop them. So 
that's just me talking about my opinion on it. But uh, I didn't have a problem with the Browns going for it. I also thought the Steelers should have been going for it because mm-hmm. I wanted to see drives kept alive. But I was also confident that the Browns had a real chance to stop it. And they in did that situation too. And I think, yeah, if you, if you think about when the helmet came off, yeah, it was uh, they, they, the know. officials blew the review. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so. it's it's a rough thing there. But, yeah, I thought they were right there to stop it, whereas their toss sweep play gained like six yards. So yep. it wasn't really even close. But Yeah, and I think there was a, an opportunity for the Browns to go in Ravens territory in the in the Baltimore game that they didn't. I think it was a fourth and three, if I remember correctly. But this is just off the top of my head. But there there was that. I think that was the one time where I was a little bit frustrated with Kevin that he didn't go in a situation that I think was a pretty obvious go from a – from a numbers perspective, but I understand fourth and three is just a different animal than, than fourth and one or less, you know? So it really, once you're inside that yard, I mean, I know that the Eagles have made a living off of it, but uh, really for any offense, you should be able to get a yard uh, one way or the other. So teams in fourth and short this year, fourth and one or less, the Eagles are eight of nine. The chargers are seven of 12. That's rough. 58% on fourth and one. I'm told reliably that Kellen Moore is going to fix all their offensive problems, and then it was really just the play caller. Yeah, and then but but the defense is also fine there, according to Staley. So yeah, things are not really their going fault. well. So the Browns are six of seven on fourth and one or short. I can't think off the top of my head when they were stopped. I don't know if you can, but no, I can't think off the top of my head. But they're six of seven, so that's eighty-five percent. The Steelers are three of four. You know, so yeah. not a ton of opportunity there. But it's all very. All very low sample size. It's hard to generalize. This is why you have to trust the numbers because you can't, you know, you can't, you can't go based on how your team is at converting. You have to go based on how likely it is for a team to convert it. So even the Chargers should keep going for it, even though it's, you know, ruining their season. Would you guys, if you were Jimmy Haslam, give Barry and Stefanski new deals this summer or wait to see what 2024 looks like? I think they've done a good job. Just wondering what your guys' thoughts are on the topic. Um, I would sign them. I have no problem keeping them around. I mean, I would wait till the end of the year just to see mm-hmm. if they blow this thing, but um, <laughs> and it turns ugly. But I, I just like, I don't know. I think they've done well. I think Kevin's gotten the most out of them so far. I don't see that changing. the 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 recipe could will probably remain the same. I guess the results could flip a little bit on some of these last minute, you know, sorts of things. But I, again, it feels like to me you can chase a high of a better coach and maybe a more creative offensive coach. But I think, you know, it's, it's, it's again, a, a sort of theory I have that you can always do worse. You can always do way, way worse. And I think Kevin has done well enough this year to be among the names that are considered for coach of the year. I think that I, I don't give Kevin the highest grade for what he's done stylistically on offense. Uh, I'm hoping that is something that he can evolve over the coming years, but I am comfortable giving him a multi-year contract to continue to do what he is building here. Uh, I feel pretty, pretty good about that. He made the right decision to go get rid of Joe Woods, a tough decision for him because that's his friend went out and hired Jim Schwartz, got a better special teams perspective in the building and the message to his team has been bought. And, and, and although the offense stuff I'm griping about, we'll see when he gets some, some continuity there, if they can, they can change some things, but I think he's done enough to be in a good position. And I also think that Andrew Barry's done a remarkable job being down draft picks and overcoming, you know, the, the, the Watson decisions, how they're going to be remembered. It's just the, the nature of it. But, you know, for people like us who pay close attention to the um, surrounding elements, getting Martin Emerson, getting Dewan Jones, doing what they've done, making some clutch signings here. 
Um, and, and I give Jimmy Haslam credit because he gives him the cash to spend to overcome some of the mistakes in free agency or things that haven't worked out. But I, I really think Andrew does a nice job and I would be, I'd, I'd be more than happy to have them both around. But what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think um, there are still reservations with both. It's not an unqualified yes that I'm seeing from, from some people. Um, but I do think, you know, I think it is trending in the direction of them both getting extended, like right when their season ends. I still am of the viewpoint that you don't need to do it in the middle of the season. I don't see what it yeah. benefits. And I think, I think they would agree, by the way. I don't yeah. think Kevin or Andrew want to be, uh, the the subject of news stories when the Browns are in the middle of what they're doing, right? So also, Kevin, you don't know who you play this week, but you'll have a contract conversation. Cool, right? Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So so, it, I think summer. it it happening, yeah. you know, right after the Super Bowl win makes the most sense. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. um, yeah. It, you know, the timing on that seems to work out really well. So they're a half game yeah. out of first place in the AFC. So we said that it's, kind of flippantly, but hey, no, it's absolutely. I mean. I, uh, this is, and I said that we talked about this a little bit on the post game show, and it was a question that I had because, and I was thinking about the Chiefs, and what happened last night to the Chiefs is exactly why I asked the question because I truly believe there is not an NFL offense in this league, period, 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 that the Browns couldn't shut out in a one game playoff, like, and I don't mean I, I mean shut out in the sense of like hold them to enough to a low enough score that the Browns somehow find a way. Basically do what they did to the Steelers, but but to any team. And I I know that sounds crazy, but I believe that. And I think I think that you know, because of that, I think that I don't I'm not putting a cap on where this goes. I'm really not right now. So, back to the question of extensions, deal with when the offseason comes because this is too much fun to start thinking about that stuff. I know everybody wants to crow about it with every win. And I get it. Like it's it's fun having a coach that you're excited about. That is a departure for the Browns, certainly. But it, it to me, it just doesn't it doesn't need to happen right now. And I, I'll just say also, I want Kevin Stefanski to do to his offensive staff what he did to his special teams and defensive staffs this past year. Like we've talked about, you, Jake. You've talked a lot about Chad O'Shea, and I think you've been dead on. The whole Alex Van Pelt being the OC and quarterback coach thing is is up there for me. The whole Bill Musgrave hire, who, you know, could you tell me one thing that he's responsible for this season? Nothing jumps out to me. I mean, obviously there's Callahan, but like, I don't know, man. I I would love Four to see him. Four or five fresh minds would be good. They, they'd yeah. be good. Yeah. I really think so. Now, and, I'm not, I, I, we didn't even mention this, Andrew. We're not asking him to do it in season or anything like no. the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, right. Who does that, right? right? Yeah, you, you know? don't want to be a, the sort of loser organization that has to fix this stuff on the fly. We, I, yeah. I, and I was, Jake, I was I was reading that. Uh, did I read that correctly, that the guy that they named the offensive coordinator isn't calling plays? No, so th- they're having a guy prep the offense. <laughs> th- this is the question, because we have a question coming up. Best worst case scenario for the Steelers hire is OC. Yeah. We are sort of seeing it, the best case scenario, where he can't yeah. make his mind. This is the one. This mm-hmm. is the one thing about Tomlin. Mm-hmm. I love a this lot about seal. Mike Tomlin. And if you didn't listen to how Mike Tomlin talked about the Browns defense and the Browns crowd, go listen mm-hmm. to that because it was lovely to hear from a guy who is, uh, who keeps it real. He just keeps it real. Um, he can't hire OCs. He can't do it. He can't do it. They have sucked at it. And I can't believe the thing that was amazing to me is a Steelers organization. They can't see that he can't do it. And mm-hmm. he got to fire Matt Canada without talking to anybody and is now reassigning the role to two coaches currently on his staff. 
yep. and splitting the duties between the guy who preps them early in the week and the guy who calls the plays on Sunday. That's a disaster. Now it could ultimately be better for them because Matt Canada, I think is just bad. He's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it could end up being a little bit better. And I hope, listen, I hope it's a little bit better because I want them right. to keep believing in Kenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. Just keep believing him for a year or two. So I hope it's a little bit better, but that formula is awful. And that is the thing about the Steelers that has continued to keep them grounded from the many advantages that they have. So that was a great segue into the question. As far as a, a worst case scenario, I don't know, man. I haven't thought through it enough. A young up and coming mind from somebody in D- in Detroit. I see what I did there. Detroit or somebody with Steichen who we mentioned or something like that yep. would not be an outcome that I want, but I haven't looked deep enough into this. We will in the no, off season. But- but, but their situation yeah. right now, what they did, which is just amazing. And again, we should have hit on this in the opener, but that's okay. For the Steelers to be after the Browns game, firing an important coach was such a like warm your heart moment for yeah. me. It was yeah. really cool. Um, and I think that's a long time coming. The Steelers don't do it. They don't. And the same thing with the Chargers we're talking about when, when we've been talking about who's the first coach fired. Like they don't really fire head coaches in season. So we're going to see if that if Staley keeps going up and talking in front of the press the way he did the other day, that that might be uh, forced to happen sooner, but the Steelers haven't done this since 1941 relieved somebody of significant importance to their play calling on either side of the ball or a head coach in season. It doesn't happen. Yeah. So unprecedented. the Browns broke them in a very serious way with this win and the way they held the, the Steelers offense in check, and again, I think Canada. I, I would imagine the breaking point was, hey, Jalen Warren is the best player on the field at times, and you didn't give him the football enough. Like that's probably the breaking point. But like, sure. nonetheless, that's the answer to the question of like, if the best case scenario is they keep screwing it up, he can't. He doesn't hire outside. He keeps these two guys doing it in perpetuity beyond the season. That's the best case. And he even like in another part of the best case is he clears that up a little bit, labels a guy as the true OC, but it's still somebody currently in the building. If they go looking outside the building and hire a current young NFL up-and-comer, I'll start to be like, eh, I don't really like that very much. But I don't know who that is right now. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the name, but it would be somebody that has the the brains to understand that like uh, running the ball a lot out of shotgun um, and then, you know, putting some kit, some quick game stuff together that, that Pickett likes to throw would probably be an okay recipe for them. Yeah. Uh, and, and not a lot of what they did, you know, Sunday. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, it is, I think you're absolutely right that we should be enjoying this Steelers in dysfunction piece a little bit more because it doesn't happen that often. And, you know, there's six and four, but I think everybody kind of feels like, you know, they're, they're in a, in a little bit of jeopardy here. I think that I honestly, like, I mean, I'm very obviously dialed into the Browns and, and Broncos, but that Steelers Bengals game, there's going to be the some Bengals desperate players on that field. Yeah. The Bengals beat them. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, the, it's going to get interesting. Well, I think and the, I'll they say can, this, they absolutely can. There's a world where the end of the Steelers season does, you are hearing way more dysfunction from players that's right. In Pittsburgh, than I've heard in a long time. And if mm-hmm. say they go, we talked about when they started two and six last year and rattled off like what eight or nine. Say they go the opposite of that this year and close the season poorly and go six, seven wins. I'm just saying Tomlin's not safe. I'm just saying there's a world where that could get really weird over there. Next question is from Ryan, who asks, I'd love to hear your and Andrew's thoughts on the generational divide and how Stefanski is perceived. 
I feel like there is a difference between how the Madden generation views him and how the previous generation thinks of him. I'm 33 and I really like him. My father is 63 and really dislikes him. This trend seems consistent from the older Browns fans I know. Long question, but thanks for all your work. I'm a daily listener, even in the offseason when you have to work to keep it interesting. Right on, brother. It is a lot of work to keep those June-July podcasts in any way interesting. So thank you for that, Ryan. I think this is spot on. There is a massive amount of old school football thought process that Kevin doesn't appease. I, I mean, my listen, my dad, uh, I, and he's a daily listener now, so I'm going to be careful. Dad, love you. What's up, man? Um, he, I, I would say this to his face. He's quick to fire coaches. He's quick to fire him. He, 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 he's very quick uh, to want to fire people. And I think that the, a lot of the old school thought process of football, Kevin challenges in a lot of ways. Some ways he appeases, but he challenges them in other ways. I just think that there's, um, from the older generation, Andrew, a, a, a pressing desire to win because of what they've been through. They they experienced the 80s and Belichick in the 90s, and then they, they have sat through this. They want to win now. So when the Browns have not been on the right side of the spectrum the last two years, it has really frustrated people. And when they kicked out Mayfield and all of that, after you saw Mayfield be the first pick and do some things you hadn't seen a Browns quarterback do in a long time, I understand it is my point. I think there is a large divide in age support for Kevin. If you were to go out and do like a political polling thing here, uh, I don't have anything deeper beyond that. I just think that the younger generation is more open to some of the things he does leaning into analytical side of decision-making and process over results thinking, at least hopefully you guys should listen to this podcast. And um, to me, I think that plays to his favor a little bit more. And I also think there's also a younger generation who just wants to see him keep a coach around for a long time because the teams in the division have done that forever. And you want some stability, right? Whereas, again, for older folks, older fans, they want to see wins. They want to see wins, and they don't care what it takes to get those wins at this point, if that makes sense. You might have better perspective on this. No, I think you're right. I I, I also think um, a lot of where you come down on Kevin Stefanski, I think – even more than age, I think it's about how willing you are to change your beliefs. So like if you got to a point where you were tired of Kevin in 21 or 22 and you stuck, you, you've just decided to stick with that. You're going to see things every game. I just saw something on social media about the Browns not using Pierre strong enough, like, and that, that that's the main thing that's keeping them from being a good <laughs> offense. And it's like, okay. I mean, but that's a to me, that's more about that person being very firm in that belief that Kevin Stefanski's not good at what he does. Yeah. I think everybody that listens to this podcast knows that I am not hundred percent behind Kevin Stefanski all the time. And you know, I think we we did a really good job in the in the offseason, if I can toot our own horn, of underlining some of the ways in which he needed to change. I am very interested in what this offense would be looking like at this point if Deshaun Watson was healthy for 10 games, right? Because I, I wonder what that would be. I think the assumption is that it would be miles better because yeah. of what we saw in Tennessee against Tennessee and what we saw against Baltimore. I don't know. I don't think we know that for sure. So um, Kevin Kevin's earned his money a lot in a lot of his offensive play caller career by getting the most out of a limited offense. And it's funny, they're winning in nostalgic ways. They're winning 100%. in old school old, football ways. They are, yes, they are winning old school. 100%. And, and I think I think what another part of the offense evolution you and I kind of gave them a mandate on was 
could they get an organization to buy into the the things he was selling? I recall mm-hmm. us talking about that a lot. Oh, absolutely, Getting absolutely. U- unified voices, unified belief in the approach, and there is an undoubted yeah. unification going on yeah. right now. When when they hired Stefanski and he came in, and the, you know that first month they had those they ripped off a few wins after they lost early to the the Ravens, mm-hmm. and there was that game in in Dallas where OBJ is is. Yep. Uh, Throw, or catching a touchdown pass from Jarvis Landry and you know he w- wins the game on that reverse and it's like this guy's an offensive mastermind and that yeah. I think I've cooled on that I I don't think he's a bad offensive play caller but I don't I, as I think we've talked about this year I don't think you can put him in the Shanahan Mike McDaniel uh category but he has made up for it by growing into other aspects of the job that are arguably more important right his ability to hire staff has been proven this year. His ability to communicate with his team, get them to buy in, has has changed this year. Now, you know, that's stuff that, like you said, we were desperate to see the results from that in the, this offseason. And I think those are the things that have, you know, to go back to the point about the extension, those are the things that have earned him the extension. I, it's not that I think he's a bad play caller, but I, again, I would not put him in the top five in the league. So yeah. it, it, he has to be a balanced head coach. And I, I'll tell you, that's the guy I want. If I'm choosing a head coach, it's the hardest guy to find. But if you can find a guy who is a true leader and can get people week by week to buy in, that those guys are as good as gold. That's why we hate being in the same division as Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh. And and I, I, I really think I really believe the Browns have found a guy in that mold. But it's just not the guy we thought. We thought we were getting offensive guru, and we got CEO leader. And I'm fine with that trade, but it's just changing, I think, what you expect from who he is as a head coach. I think you absolutely nailed that as well as it could be nailed in terms of the perception of initial versus what he is now. And let's see if he can CEO his offense this offseason in a way he CEO'd that defense and special teams. Exactly. Group. So exactly. Um yeah, dude, really well said. All right, let's close with there's a fun one here to to get out the door. If you had to pick one song, just one song. The best summarizes the Browns' season to this point. What would it be? This comes from Austin Caps. I'll let you go first because I know you've been thinking about this. You got to have. Some. I have. I have. Right. Um, I I don't have a great answer um, because it, you know it's. I'm not. I'm when it comes to music. I'm not a lyrics guy. I'm a I'm a notes guy. So I, I listen more to the instruments than the lyrics often. But um, the first song that jumped into my head, and I haven't improved on it, is... Um, Umbrella by Rihanna? Exactly. How'd you know? Oh, I, knew, uh, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> no, I, I was I, uh, never going to give you up by Barry White. Because I, did not, it's a, I did not expect that. I did yeah, not expect it. Give me your reasoning. Well, because it's about, you know, it's about not quitting. And I think, to me, more than anything, like, that, you know, it's that's about him... Uh, not ever stopping loving someone, but listen, I mean, the Browns love winning and they're not going to stop loving winning Jake. So, uh, you know, they're, they are uh, on a weekly basis seducing and then taking to bed uh, a, a football win. And I'm fine with that. Listen, you could go cliche. You could do don't stop believing because of their way ability to finish, you know, and, and, and stay in moments and, all of that, but but the song I come back to is a song that I remember being super young and hearing in Brown Stadium in the mid-90s 
It's the Hey song, which I will play for you right now, just a little snippet. When this podcast first started, I actually used this song as an intro before I found out that I get in trouble for licensing. Uh, before Blue Wire was like, hey, buddy, let's go ahead and nip that uh, and get you a different theme song. But this is the one that makes me think of like the good Browns moments. It's like it's everywhere. I heard the Packers stadium playing at the other. It's a it's a popular stadium jock jam song. But when I think of the Cleveland Browns rolling in the stadium sounding like it sounded on Sunday and the good times are rolling. This is the song I come back. It just I hear it in my head all the time. I'm going to play it for you now real quick. So I don't know, Andrew, it's a lame answer, but it's really just a, <laughs> this song is a vibe I get. And when yeah. the Browns are rolling and the times are good mm-hmm. yeah. and, you know, you could do like the atomic dogs or you could go any of those old routes. But, but I, I mean, I, this is a good question from Austin because I hadn't really even, I haven't even really thought of mm-hmm. it, but yeah. there's definitely an element of like overcoming the odds. Don't stop believing here that they're, that they're mm-hmm. pulling off. Right. No, for sure. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of good songs about not giving up belief, right? It's a it's a popular uh, type of song to write because it's you know pretty universal. And uh, I mean, I, I think that like to me, yeah, the thing that you bring up about the stadium feeling alive that has been the one of the best things about this is like the you know that it ha- it's been so consistent that I think people have not been afraid to really jump back on board, and so. Um, it's just seeing everybody totally bought in and the atmosphere that they're able to create as a result of that. I haven't been able to get to the stadium this year. I'm, you know, kind of far away, but you know, everything I've seen is that it's, it's a totally different experience and it's just so great because ultimately football is about enjoying yourself, right? Like I, I, we, we take it awfully seriously and it can be a real roller coaster ride. It's purpose is entertainment and the Browns are entertaining fans of the Browns way more than they have in a really long time. Right on. A lot of great answers at the end of this pod. So if you stuck it out, I hope you enjoyed it. I thought Andrew's answer on Kevin Stefanski particularly great. Um, We'd like to save the best for last. It takes us about an hour to get loose. Yeah, well, you know, we're like Dewan Jones. We play the fourth (laughs) quarter around here. Um, So, yeah, listen, fun show. Uh, Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Again, if you want your answer, your question to be answered, let us know if we haven't gotten to it. I, I really... I don't always have the time to reach out to everybody individually who responds and say, we used your question, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I hope that you are getting uh, something out of asking questions and us answering them. We really genuinely appreciate that. Just like we genuinely, genuinely appreciate you guys making the OBR film breakdown a part of your everyday podcast experience and giving us the time, which we really value. So whatever it is, you're getting ready for Thanksgiving on this Wednesday. Get your cooking done. Get your prep done. I know I'm making a peanut butter pie with my son. I do every year. It's always a lot of fun for us. I always do like a little fast forward video, time lapse video of us making oh, nice. it. And I got it for like three straight years. I'm going to do it until he's moved out of the house. Maybe he'll do it with his son someday. It'll be a cool little thing. But I did that with my mom and now doing it with my son's little little pass down tradition. So it's pretty neat. But yeah, Wednesday night's kind of fun. The night before Thanksgiving to, you know, take some time to soak it all in and get that family time. So taking time yeah. to listen to this pod is greatly appreciated. Are you a fan of planes, trains, and automobiles? Well, well yeah, of course. You okay. know, yeah. we got so a lot to get into with Jordan on the topic tomorrow. 
That's true. Yeah, we can dig into it with Jordan, but I, that's to me is part of the the Wednesday night night before Thanksgiving. It's a fantastic tradition, and then you mm-hmm. get the parade on the day of, and yeah. all that fun stuff. So, uh, listen, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. So, you will get a Thanksgiving podcast where we will be talking about food. We might rank food. We'll probably do a Thanksgiving show where we talk about what we're thankful for with the Browns, and then we rank our plate. Like we're setting up our plates for you. There you on go. The Thanksgiving show. We don't even need to do so, pre-show prep tomorrow. We're we all done. We just Great. did it. Listen, hey, you guys, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for asking us questions. We appreciate you very much. Stop by the OBR, take advantage of that, and then rate and review the pod if you'd be so kind. We're thankful for you. Have a great day. Go Browns. Go Browns.